This episode of the podcast is brought to you by The Genius Brand. The Genius Brand offers health supplements to help you optimize your life in a variety of ways. My latest Genius Stack is comprised of Genius Pre, Mushrooms, and Caffeine. Their mushroom supplement is packed with reishi, lion's mane, and cordyceps to deliver immune support, improve cognitive function, and elevate your mood to have you at your best. The Pre is an all-natural and stimulant-free nootropic-based workout supplement that gives me great pump, but I actually cheat a little bit, and I combine it with their sustained-release caffeine so I can control how much extra stimulation I need on any given day. All in all, this deck has me feeling great, but if there's another area of genius you're looking to unlock, they have everything from beauty, weight loss, focus, nootropics, and more. So check them out at thegeniusbrand.com and use code QUALITY at checkout for 15% off of your order. And if for any reason you're not feeling the genius awaken inside of you, there is a 90-day money-back guarantee. So you've got nothing to lose. So hit thegeniusbrand.com today or just hit the link in our bio and unlock your genius today. This podcast is also brought to you by KitCaster. Did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand? Here's the secret. We all want to feel connected to brands we buy from. And what better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your story on a podcast? KitCaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. If you're an expert in your field, you have a unique story to share or an interesting point of view, I think it's time to explore the world of podcasting with KitCaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. Now, KitCaster can be your secret weapon in podcasting or business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. So go to kitcaster.com slash quality to apply for a special offer for friends of the Quality Goods Podcast. On this episode of the podcast, Anson and I connected with Kat McCoy, owner of New York-based jewelry concierge service Best Kept. Kat's mission is to take the stress out of buying fine jewelry, whether shopping for yourself or gifting a loved one. She has a true talent in matching clients with the perfect piece, sourcing from some of the finest purveyors around the nation. We talked about her prior career as a management consultant and how her business acumen has helped shape her approach to working with clients on both sides of the jewelry deal. We talked about her process of finding the right gift, jewelry trends, sentimentality, and jewelry as an investment. It was a great conversation about everything jewelry. So let's get into it and see what's good. Quality, 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 quality goods. What is going on, good people? You are tuned in to the Quality Goods Podcast, where we host discussions with artists, entrepreneurs, and doers from all walks of life. I am Chris Beatty. And I'm Anson Jay. And tonight we are joined by our East Coast guest, uh, jewelry concierge extraordinaire, Miss Kat McCoy. How are you doing this evening? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing excellent. Yes, yes. I will agree with that statement. As you can see tonight, uh, Anton and I are not wearing much jewelry <laughs> but you know this this conversation might just just change that i'm i'm wearing a piece of a digital i don't, I don't know if you call this jewelry but it's an accessory yeah. that yeah. would otherwise be um where, where jewelry is worn um right. absolutely and we can always outfit you with a, a strap so so don't worry about that <laughs> there you go yeah. there's always something. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a watch kind of guy I, I, I love a watch that's probably a piece that i wear Daily so, before having an Apple Watch, I did wear a, a normal timepiece. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I used to have a variety of timepieces, but then the Apple Watch just kind of took over. So, uh, you know, maybe I need to be coerced out of this 
digital uh yeah, you just get the band, like you said, you can get a band for you you know i don't begrudge you that i've actually gotten used to wearing an apple watch as well i think the the function where you can find your phone um to me is the feature killer yeah <laughs> um and once you get used to that it's hard to go back i know for some reason i don't know i just stopped wearing my apple watch well i got tattoos <laughs> and i was like well i want to see the tattoo and like no matter what when i have my watch on i would check my the time on my phone but it I, that was the one thing is fine my phone so i still have the watch in case but i'm like man but i do wear necklaces that's what i usually do when it comes to jewelry so that's why i like to accessorize oh awesome well, for those of you listening you know cat was not always a concierge of the jewels <laughs> but um you know like as, as many entrepreneurs go they they start off on one path and they realize that their passion lies elsewhere. Um, but I, I was wondering if you can just kind of tell us about your journey from being a management consultant and, and maybe a little bit about what that is and, and what led you uh, to uh, your, yeah, your passion profession in jewelry. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, As you said, I worked as a management consultant, um, actually at Ernst & Young for a number of years. I studied business in college. um, So that was sort of a a natural sort of career trajectory. Um, And I've always, always loved jewelry. um, And I ultimately had the aspiration where I wanted to work for myself. And so um, I had been thinking through different business ideas and what I was passionate about and what I'm good at. um, And I felt like Buying, the process of buying jewelry was just really broken. Um, it's so overwhelming. There are truly millions of product pages online and going in person in the in store can be really intimidating. And I felt like if you could make people feel like they couldn't get it wrong and curate really great options for them to choose from within their budget, that so many more people would take the leap and buy a great piece of jewelry. Um, so um, as you said, I own and operate a jewelry concierge called Best Kept, um, and uh, I help people find and make the perfect piece of jewelry for milestone occasions. So um, the, the majority of my business is, is engagement rings and gifting, but I also help people source things for themselves. And um, there's a lot of really sort of um, interesting psychology and buying habits when it comes to jewelry. It's a really emotional purchase, um, and it's a really kind of personal process that we go through together. So very very different from my management consulting days, but I have to say like, it's, it's uh, so meaningful to me that I get to work for myself. I really don't think I could go back to ever having a boss again. Um, so that sort of freedom. And then also uh, trying to be thoughtful about finding like a real market opportunity was sort of uh, the connection there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny when, uh, when I think of management consulting, I always think of this show. I don't know if you've ever seen the show house of lies, uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that, that was a great show and it, it exposed me to a world of uh, business, a line of business that I, I never knew existed. And it, it made me like, re, you know, I'm, I'm always a fan of when people are just calling the shots and they're just, you know, out there boom, just boom, boom. Tell, solving problems for people and, uh, you know, unearthing solutions that uh, are basically like right in front of their eyes, but they're just like presenting them in such a, a grand and, and why, I don't know if it's that that way in the real world, but um. yeah, I think. Listen, there's um, consulting is like is of course like a huge um, a huge business, but um, I felt like at the time, as as candidly more of like a junior consultant, um, but you know, there's a lot of jargon, there's a lot <laughs> of meetings about meetings, um, and so depending on your disposition, it can sometimes feel. Um, slow or bureaucratic. And it all depends, of course, what your niche is and what you're doing. Um, I definitely learned some great sort of like strategic frameworks and ways to think about problems. Um, And also, um, you know, I to anyone I speak to, I always recommend having some sort of job before going out into business on your own, if you can, just because um, to know how to operate in a meeting, to know how to, to write an email I think. <laughs> communicate with others like yeah mm-hmm. important um so um from a foundational perspective and i think a lot of people like going into consulting as well because you get to see lots of different businesses and see lot you know solve lots of different types of problems but um depending upon your disposition sometimes it can feel a little bit like you really want to get your own hands dirty <laughs> absolutely i mean was there uh one experience that kind of led you down that path to uh, 
wanting to go out on your own and start your own business? I mean, you, you said that you, kind of knew, you always knew that you wanted to work for yourself, but was there one kind of transformative experience that said like, all right, this is it. This, A little is, switch. I, this yeah. is when I want to take the leap. Yeah. You know, I think like so many things, the timing has to be right. Um, and so for me personally, um, when I started the business back in 2018, um, I really did have an itch for a major change. Uh, the company that I was working for at the time, I was working in business development um, and they were completely shutting down uh, the business development department. And I would have had to have either moved into sales oh, or a different yeah. part of the company. Um, and um it just felt like such the right time to kind of do something different and do something for myself. Anecdotally, yeah. I had been working on the idea a little bit on the side. Um, I have two older brothers. And so I've always, always helped them find gifts for their girlfriends. Um, and so um, <laughs> I helped my my older brother, Doug, um, find like a really special necklace for his girlfriend at the time. And he was starting to tell all his, all of his friends about it because um not only did the gift go over really well, but he felt like it was sort of like a cool curated experience. Um, and a lot of his mm. buddies were sort of in a similar boat in terms of like getting more serious with a girl, but not really knowing where to start when it came to um, a more serious gift. Yeah. Like not doing too much or yeah. too much is actually really, exactly like what kind of message are you trying to send? And then I love you, but yeah, you know, it's been a few months. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> and I hear from so many of my clients too that people who are who are willing to work with you know a professional jewelry buyer oftentimes they do have some sort of story like some sort of war story where they bought something in the past that got returned or um, mm -hmm. so you know they're just like completely off like as soon as they open they're like oh you know oh, nothing about me you know for real like really? <laughs> especially if they're into jewelry that's a big yeah that's a big risk jewelry is so yeah, personal know. and I'm I always say that a woman's taste in jewelry is not like a direct one-to-one -one with her taste in clothes. Um, hmm. um, it's a little bit different. Your taste in jewelry is probably informed by like what your mom, your grandmother wore. Um, it's a, it's a very kind of, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really kind of emotional thing. And so a lot of what I do um, is in some ways like kind of intuitive um, and very, very personal. And so, um, it, you know, this is not at all in terms of the recommendations that I curate for people. It's not at all, you know, driven by an algorithm. Everything I do is really custom. And um, mm. oftentimes you're just sort of picking up on someone's vibe in terms of what they're going to love the most. Yeah. I mean, I know that you're you know, inspiration uh, came a lot from your maternal grandmother. Uh, what, what was her style like? What was her jewelry style like? And how did that inform, you know, your like early taste? Style? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She was um, such an elegant woman. Um, and uh, above all else, she was a magnificent gift giver. Um, so truly her love language was really gifts and it never felt materialistic because the gifts were always so thoughtfully selected. Um, and the gift you would receive from her always felt like a reflection of you that, you know, it reflected some piece of yourself that you liked about yourself or that you didn't even know to kind of give yourself credit for. And so this idea of being able to communicate big emotions with gifts is something that's been, that I absolutely credit to her um, and is sort of um, something that I'm always thinking about. To me, a really thoughtfully selected piece of jewelry is not frivolous at all. I think it can be yeah. really, really meaningful if you kind of stick the landing and make sure that it's really personal. Um, so just in terms of like, generosity and my approach to gift giving that absolutely comes from her from a style perspective. Um, she was very classic, like nice things, but like color. Um, and so um, I think just my, my general sort of approach to jewelry is usually like stick with the classics a little bit more understated. Um, but she always had a point of view. And I think as a business owner, particularly like a service provider um, to feel like, People come to you because they want something specific, but to, to feel like you always have a point of view, I think is really important too. Um, because there are, as I said before, there are just millions of options out there. Yeah. Was there a early memory of like one of your first gifts that's uh, of jewelry that stands out to you that like, man, like you really knew, like you really knew this is for me. Um, absolutely. So right after, um, uh, my grandmother passed that I had a birthday and my dad gave me a very special um, locket necklace that I still wear to this day. Mm. Um, that's another kind of great inspiration for the business because when I wear this necklace, people would say, 
would compliment and I would say, you know, my dad got this for me. And and across the board, people would say, um, wow, I can't tell you how meaningful it would be. My dad would never do that. But if, if it would be so meaningful for me if my dad were to get me a special piece of jewelry like that. And um, that's kind of stuck with me as well. So some of my favorite projects are usually fathers and daughters too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, sometimes people can be like a little bit bashful about buying something for their daughter. But as I said, if you can kind of stick the landing and find something that she loves, um, that that is probably one of the most meaningful pieces in my collection. It's not the flashiest or the most expensive, but um, that's something like if there's a fire, I'm going back in for that locket. So <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I think that's one of the magical things about jewelry is that it's, uh, you know, a statement piece and it's something that can transcend time and, and trends and all that stuff, you know, like it with the right piece, you can wear it with anything or at whatever age, and it still has the same meaning to you. It's so you're exactly right. Jewelry is so emotional. And then I think also like on the more fun side of things, um, jewelry can also be really trend driven. Um, And I think in the beginning of the business, I would sort of um, turn my nose up at that a little bit. But as (laughs) you know, again, five years in in the business now, I think there's also something really special about buying something because you like it. Um, And it speaks to you as a moment. Um, and again, some of that is going to be sort of driven by budget and mood and where you are yeah, in life. Sure. But um, uh, as I said, the bread and butter of my business is probably gifts. But more recently, a bigger part of the business has become particularly women. Uh, maybe they've gotten a promotion or, or they're, they've got a big birthday and like the, the people pieces that they buy for themselves, these sort of uh, self-purchases have become um, some of my favorites as well, because it's such an empowering thing to buy yourself a piece of jewelry because you want something. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, from a recommendation standpoint, I'm, I'm more you know likely than not to uh, to steer you towards something really classic. But um, more recently, I've uh, loosened up a little bit. And I think uh, just getting something kind of trendy can be fun too. Depends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I think it's like, some things don't necessarily have the big the big story behind them, but it just like hits you, like you said, at that time or that location you're at and just spoke to you like, oh, this is gonna be like my memory from that trip or whatever it is, you know? I was gonna say too, so the first, you know, like you said, you kind of started with, with like your brother um, helping him out. So how was that first kind of experience? Like were there some questions that, uh, that you, you know, you really tried to help make your decision with them about? The purchase. So I had a little bit of an advantage there because I knew his mm-hmm. girlfriend personally. And so the more information you can have about the person receiving the gift, kind of yes. the better. Um, for, a, for a client I work with now, um, I always ask for a picture of whoever we're shopping for. Um, it's best if they can send a picture of the person dressed really casually and then also mm-hmm. maybe dressed for a more formal event like a mm-hmm. wedding. Um, so any information that you can provide about the person we're shopping for is always going to be um, really, really important. And then, um, you know, I think in the consultation, um, really feeling out the client too. Um, there are some people who really want to be, um, who want a lot of information about the designer and they want to know how the piece was made. And um, that story behind the piece is really important. And then there are other people who are kind of nervous about the whole thing. They just want to make sure the person receiving the jewelry loves it. And they, um, uh, you know, the worst thing I could do would be to give them more than two options. (laughs) Um, So sometimes I'm really tailoring the experience to the client and other times I'm really sort of, um, you know, really laser focused on the person receiving the piece of jewelry. And so from a business perspective, it can be, it's really fun, but it can be challenging because um, I'm providing a service to the person who has chosen to work with me, but ultimately we're buying something for somebody else. Um, So from, you know, just using my own consulting lingo, there's uh, multiple stakeholders uh, at at all times. Plus even too, like I want to make it seem like if I, it's from Yeah, like I chose this. Yeah, like, oh, you, you went to a service and they just pick something that, yeah. Exactly. I think when I started the business, I was excited to work with people who were really busy. And I, I thought that would be my, my type, you know, my target customer, someone who, you know, it's Monday and the anniversary is Thursday done. and they're just going <laughs> to yeah. throw money at the problem. Um, but I've actually found that again, because jewelry is emotional and personal and all of those things, um, you know, my job is to curate really beautiful recommendations, but my client has to own the final decision. The rare instances where they've been like, I don't know, I don't know, like you pick, you pick. It never, nobody's ever happy. Um, yeah. it, it's never it's quite personal. as, um, yeah. 
Exactly. Like they have to really own the decision. Um, and my favorite, honestly, is when um, I start working with someone who at the beginning feels like they know nothing and they have no vocabulary for what we're talking about. And by the end, they're like, you know, actually, I think that we should go with option number four because the claw prongs are so <laughs> yeah. much better than <laughs> the dot prongs. And they're sort of speaking the language and sometimes sort of uh, parroting back some of the things they've heard me say. Um, and to me, that's uh, kind of the most fun or, or satisfying uh, types of experiences. Yeah, like- making the knowledge expand for everybody involved you know <laughs> yeah exactly and particularly with engagement mm. rings uh, th- that yeah I mean, that's a bit, yeah bit. that's huge like no pressure this is just like the biggest thing i'm <laughs> going to give my yeah. life. <laughs> yes there's so much pressure with engagement rings and you know my sort of armchair theory there is um because of Instagram, mm-hmm. like it's just yeah. our culture of just, course yeah, now yeah, is just yeah. so visual. There's so much more pressure because there's the expectation you see that every kind of cut there yeah. is, every kind of stone there is. Yeah, like I want to make it subtle that you see me wearing yeah. it, but I don't want to have it focused. Like, yeah. <laughs> got to be IGable. Yeah. So the expectation is uh, it's going to mm-hmm. be photographed like the, you know, the day you propose. Um, so I definitely feel some of that pressure from, uh, from my clients. I was wondering too, like, does it ever happen? Uh, like you said, it, it kind of starts more or started more with um, like finding gifts for others. But then when you raise the knowledge or like the interest of that, you have like those customers coming back. Now they want to buy stuff for themselves. Like I would imagine that would happen to me. Like, oh, I know so much more. Like I can wear stuff because I know how to make it, you know, like what I'm looking for now for like my style or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So as the business um, has grown and as I've been in business longer, for a lot of my clients now, it's about like building your jewelry collection. So maybe we start with like a small pair of studs, but your style has evolved over the last few years to your point, like you've become more knowledgeable and maybe more into jewelry. And so um, building a collection is something that like, I talk about with um, some of my closer clients. And um, for me, the best kind of business is to work with you know, I don't need to work with a million people. I just need to work with a handful of people several times a year. And so the repeat customers where um, I can kind of keep my eye out for things that, you know, that I know they're going to love um, and also, you know, kind of look to build their collection together um, is really meaningful. And, um, you know, you mentioned that you love watches and stuff. And so um, there's nothing quite like a watch collection. That's almost like a very separate thing, but yeah, a, yeah. Um, I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's cool for me also to see like um, a client style evolve a little bit with time too, um, in the same way, like my style evolves and, and everybody else. Um, but uh, yeah, building a, a collection together. Yeah, well, is, we're uh, on the, is pretty the cool. subject of personal style. And I, I was wondering, like, how do you go about finding pieces that reflect a person's personal style? And like, what are what are some of the steps in analyzing that? Yeah, what kind of secrets can yeah, you what, dive what, yeah. what, <laughs> what are you, you able to... <laughs> Exactly. That really is the secret sauce. It's kind of a strange, weird skill that I have. Um, as I said, oftentimes I'm I'm really working off of what a client can tell me in the consult and a few pictures of them. Um, but to the extent that they can also send me names of jewelry designers that they mm. know the person they're buying for wears or um, send me pictures of things that they already have, that can be really helpful. Um, I spend a lot of my day, I'm, you know, immersed in and looking at jewelry. And so if you can send me a few visual references that can usually um, sort of trigger me to, to think about, Oh, I want to go look there. Or that reminds me of something else that I've seen. Um, But, you know, I mentioned before, like what I do is not driven by an algorithm. So oftentimes it can be really, really time consuming um, to kind of dig in and and find something that doesn't feel too generic, that feels Mm -hmm. um, kind of really personal. Um, So, you know, it's not a a great, great answer, but it really is often a feeling. Um, And the best thing that I've done is learn to ask better questions in the consultation. because if I leave the consultation and I don't have marching orders, I don't have some idea of a direction I want to go in, um, then it can be really, really difficult. Yeah, it's to- like infinite possibilities <laughs> of jewelry if you don't have a little clue. Of, yeah. Yeah. So again, it sounds so obvious, but like you have to fall on your face a few times to learn these things. And um, asking the right questions in the consultation is is uh, is like ninety percent of yeah. it exactly. Uh, so I have a little bit of a challenge for you now. Um, so say I'm a customer and I'm looking for something like what Drake recently wore. He wore like the, a $1.4 million 
chain from Frank Ocean's <laughs> company. I honestly don't, I don't remember what Frank Ocean's jewelry company is, is called, but $1.4 million chain, but my budget is maybe a thousand bucks. Yeah, where, one point, uh, <laughs> where, four where, where do we go? Like, I, I want to capture that same kind of vibe, but obviously my budget is, is not what Drake's is. Yeah, that's tough because, um, I like to make people feel like we can um, we can optimize for any kind of budget that you have. I think at a th- at the thousand dollar price point, you have to ask yourself: Do I want something um, small but with real stones, you know, set in white gold or platinum, or do I want something that maybe uses um, synthetic stones or just um, so, the look? Yeah, exactly, just for the looks. I think that's like the you know with a budget like that, that's probably the first question that you have to ask yourself. Um, you know, I mentioned before I live um, outside New York City, and so my primary partner is in the Diamond District in New York City. Mm. Um, and so I do have one or two people I would think to pay a visit to in terms of like that style of chain. Um, and I probably would do a little bit of research um, to see again, like what are some other styles that we might be able to do slightly more affordably, um, but still kind of capture that swag. I mean, also too, it's like, you know, maybe not even looking like it, but more, I want to feel the way he felt yeah, wearing I'll, his chain. You know what I'm saying? Wanna, so what I can be, the vibe that exactly. Drake yeah, like court side, I don't dress like Drake on the other side anyway. So what you want is that thing that like accents. Yeah. How you, yeah. You, but you want to carry yourself differently that day. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah. A thousand dollars between you and me might be tough to work with, but we can figure yeah. something out. <laughs> I was going to say too, so I mean, with the, you know, with algorithm being so big and IG like pumping out, you know, so much information to people about like jewelry, um, have you noticed any like big trends come back out of nowhere? Like, and then that, and I was also curious about like, is uh, like jewelry fashion as cyclical as like clothing fashion, you know, like, does it go, you know, a certain way as much as that does? Um, so there are absolutely trends. I would say the trends, um, are slower to come and then also last longer. So it's not quite that same sort of like fast fashion Mm -hmm. um, feel. Um, I would say for the last like three or four years, um, gold chains have been huge for women and for men, Mm -hmm. of course. And so that Cuban link chain. Never. So a total classic, but I think you're seeing people who like traditionally like previously might have felt like preppy or like that wouldn't at all be something that they'd be wearing. Like, I think you see all types of people wearing sort of these thicker chains. I think that's a great example of um, something that feels very now, very trendy, but it's been around for several years. I don't see it for going away anytime soon. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, in terms of trends in the jewelry space, all of it's happening on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's like the primary platform to kind of be driving a lot of these things. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, to answer your question, I don't think it's quite as, um, quite as uh, cyclical or quite mm-hmm. as quick rather as, um, like clothes, but, um, absolutely. There are always going to be trends. What are some of the trends that you've seen like come and go and what are some that have uh, come and been here to stay? Um, so it really depends on the category, but if we think mm-hmm. about engagement rings, um, mm-hmm. I think the the biggest sort of most popular style is first of all the the most popular shape is now an oval an oval cut diamond mm-hmm. so that's just really like the last few years ovals have become really really popular do you think it's because it like kind of emulates the shape of the the finger and exactly kinda... it's um it kind of elongates your finger too i think for a lot of women um mm-hmm. the worst thing they could do the, you know the worst uh, adjective you could use to describe their hand would be stubby um so it kind of uh, just the shape <laughs> of the stone it kind of elongates the finger thankfully i've never yeah. called a woman hand <laughs> yeah so. i wouldn't recommend that i would never <laughs> yeah that doesn't sound like something I'm going to do anytime soon. Um, <laughs> so I would say oval cut diamonds are definitely the most popular in terms of um, the cut of stones. And then also this idea of, um, of a really thin band. So doing everything you can to highlight the actual center stone um, has become really popular too. Um, so, you know, I do a lot of, at this point, I do a lot of engagement rings and a lot of them are what we call a solitaire. So it's just the center diamond um, set with four prongs on a really no simple stones band. In the band. Um, or maybe some small stones on the some, band. Some, a little bit, you know, it, it depends on the person, but um, yeah, I would say a major trend um, in engagement rings is, uh, is something really simple and sort of set by itself. Um, so I think that would be a really good example. Um, and then also um, 
again, uh, for women, um, multiple ear piercings have become huge. Um, so I'm kind of a, I'm considered such a square cause I just have my, my one earring, <laughs> the classics, uh, yeah. the one <laughs> earring piercings, but, um, this idea, like some people call it like an ear party. So, um, there are some ear people party. who might have like eight or nine piercings on a single ear. Um, oh, wow. and so the way that you style that, um, there are obviously so many different permutations and combinations and different sizes that you want to mix. Um, but it's become, um, such a cool, um, sort of way of self-expression because, um, Again, if you do have, as I said, like seven or eight different piercings, like it's, it would be impossible for someone else to replicate that exactly. Um, so I think yeah. people who are looking to like uh, really kind of express yeah. themselves, like that's been like a really cool way Unique to do it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what about for men? What are some of the trends uh, that you might've seen for men over the, the years or the years that you've been in business? Um, well, I think it's really interesting that, um, of, of my clients, I would say almost hundred percent of the men I work with want to wear a wedding band. Um, so I think that's almost like a generational thing. I think, um, the generations before like men sort of had a different relationship with jewelry and wouldn't always necessarily wear a wedding band. Um, and then watches of course have just become so huge, particularly, um, even through, and then after the, uh, starting with the pandemic, the watch market has just completely exploded um, for some of the sort of big heritage brands like Rolex. Um, the Rolex mm-hmm. market is absolutely insane right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Like I have clients who come to me looking for a Rolex and listen, I can source you anything. I work with really talented watch dealers, but from an investment standpoint, um, it's gotten so nutty that you're not sure yeah, even yeah, right now. It's a good investment. Value. Exactly. Um, so watches, yeah, I, th- I think watches for men and this idea of um, of collecting, like the major names are always going to really hold their value and that's become um, really, really popular. And then um, like some men's chains, I, th- I think have been, um, have been popular too. The ones that I've done have mostly been sort of smaller, thinner, yeah. like almost things yeah, that like, you purposely wear like under an yeah, undershirt. Yeah. Um, so I don't have quite as much experience, like with the big, like $1.4 million. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, uh, so I can't speak to that. That's how it has quite as much, but Do you see four finger rings coming back anytime soon. I'm not a fan <laughs> of that. <laughs> Let me know. Cause I might have, to, I've never worn a ring, but that might be the way to go. Just wear them all at the same time. Oh, the knuckle rings. You know? yesterday. And, you know, oh, I forgot that. Yeah. The ring to open the portal. <laughs> yeah, yes, <it> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I do a little bit of men's jewelry, but, um, it almost feels like a totally different category. Um, so, uh, I definitely uh, focus more on women's jewelry. Men wearing chains has always been a huge thing in like the hip hop industry. And, um, it's so unique to the hip hop culture for men. It's a, it's a peacocking thing for one, you know, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a way to show off the way it's a form of self-expression, but what is your take on on that versus like the everyday man who's just you know going naked on the neck yeah i would say you know one thing i'm always asking my clients to think about is this idea of of wearability Mm -hmm. so depending on like what kind of job you have like again a lot of the men that i work with they want something just sort of um small that like probably they wear under their undershirt at work um not because they're embarrassed to be wearing a piece of jewelry but it's almost something like personal and private for them Mm um, that has like a lot of meaning imbued to it. Um, so I think that's like a very different purchase than to your point, like something more about like status or peacocking. Um, but I think, um, I think with anything, um, you want to find something that you feel like you ultimately you're not going to get sick of and that you can enjoy for like a really long time. Um, so I think it's a, a balance of like keeping it kind of classic because again, you want that longevity, but also, um, indulging in the moment and um some of that stuff like definitely can be trend driven yeah uh, I, I wore a chain for a long time but it, and it was for sentimental reasons you know it's for it's for my grandmother i wore like a, a crucifix but then you know, as i got older i was less religious so that it kind of lost mm-hmm. that meaning and then also it started to irritate my neck uh, you know I, yeah. I have like sensitive skin and so i had to just like give up wearing necklaces of any sort uh, but I, I kind of do miss like you know wearing wearing a chain. Awesome. There was something about it that it was a certain feeling that I got from. Yeah, especially after you yeah. wear it for so many years. Yeah, like, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, interestingly enough, a, a lot of the men I work with who are buying a chain, it's often because their girlfriend or wife like mm-hmm. really wants them to. So it's become like kind of sexy. Um, so I think sometimes um, a guy will sort of start with that first piece of jewelry because, uh, you know, someone asked them to. Um, so definitely seeing more women like really encouraging their Back in the jewelry game. <laughs> Kat, what you got for me? <laughs> I no, I would love to help you with something, and it's and it's really good context for me to know that like you used to wear a crucifix, so that gives me like a little bit of vibe too. So, um, so yeah, I'd be happy to to source some recommendations. Yeah. I mean, going back to uh, you know sourcing and stuff like that, I, I'm wondering how was the process of building your relationships with designers, mm, jewelers, jewelers yeah. wholesalers? Like, how did you go about that in the beginning? Yeah, that was really the hardest. Um, maybe I shouldn't say the hardest part, but that's really where I focused my first few years in business. Um, I now finally feel, again, almost five years in, I now finally feel like I'm at the point where I can um, help you source or make just about anything. But the first few years, it was really building those relationships. Um, the jewelry industry yeah, is very right. old school. It's very insular. Um, so they're mm-hmm. wary of newcomers. And so, um, and most yeah. people are third or fourth generation. So to this day, when I meet people um, and I tell them my story, how, you know, I was a management consultant, I started this business for myself. And, you know, uh, when I mentioned that, like, I, I don't, I'm not second or third generation, they're always like, <laughs> yeah. well, why would you enter the jewelry space? Um, so it can sometimes be like a challenging space to get into. What I personally found is, doing the research, being really deliberate about who I wanted to build a relationship with. And then sometimes um, buying a piece even before you have a client set up. And it doesn't mean you have to spend a ton of money, but um, I think a lot of talented Mm -hmm. people get hit up all the time and money talks. So to the extent it's not just serious about this. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it doesn't even need to be a crazy expensive piece, but just establishing the relationship with, I'm, I'm going to buy, back. like I'm a buyer yeah, and I'm a, is, yeah. you know, the first one, I, I've come here to buy something, one. um, mm. as a ton of legitimacy, um, because, uh, you know, a big part of what I do is I don't hold any inventory. Everything, um, I do is uh, custom made or custom mm. sourced for you. So, um, it can sometimes be a difficult conversation when, uh, particularly like a larger designer has buying minimums or they have sort of like more of a traditional retail structure. Um, so to get them to kind of warm up to me and, and agree to sell me the piece at a discount, you have to build that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also being really thoughtful about what their problems and their challenges are um, can be really important. So um, there are often times where I'll, I'll approach a wholesaler designer and say, um, because I only buy one piece at a time, I don't expect to buy this at the wholesale price, but, you know, sort of a, an initial, like some sort of discount yeah. would be really meaningful yeah. for me because then I can sell the piece to my client at the retail price. But um, I think also understanding that again, if I'm buying one piece at a time, it may not make sense for them to, to sell to me at the, at the wholesale price. Mm -hmm. So trying to understand uh, kind of where they are. Um, And I would say the last thing about building those relationships and again, similar to like kind of understanding their mindset is um, everybody's looking for exposure. Um, And so Mm -hmm. to the extent um, you can, you know, a lot of times the pitch is um, all of this business is completely incremental because there's no other way this person would have found you. Like they wouldn't have found you on their own. No. So this this piece that you're selling while you are selling at a discount um, to me, I found you. Um, <laughs> it's you know they never would have otherwise uh, kind of found you. Made that business. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, building those relationships has been. Um, has been really fun and like, and really challenging. And then um, as with most things to the extent you can um, have someone vouch for you or introduce you, mm-hmm. that's always going to be the best too. So um, there's some, as I said, relationships where I bought a few things before I really had a client or before I was really ready, but then they were able to introduce me to five more people. Like that's been really uh, kind of powerful too. That's great. And uh, like at my, uh, one of my former jobs, I actually worked above uh, this like, jewelry center in san francisco and i probably only went down to that basement level like once or twice but even just walking down there is intimidating in, in itself because everything is just shining everything's just diamonds everywhere yeah. i'm just like oh i don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know where to start down yeah there. exactly and it's not really and again i'm not sure exactly 
where you were, but um, when I think about the Diamond District in New York City, um, uh, listen, the ground floor, a lot of people are kind of yelling at you, trying to figure out what you want, but it's not the sort of welcoming traditional retail experience either. And so particularly for engagement rings, I think it can be really intimidating for people who um, who start off not really knowing what they want. Um, I think that um, like that more wholesale experience, like Diamond District experience can work out if you know exactly what you want, yeah. but it's not a place to figure out what you want, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, those are those are the folks that want to sell but are not trying to talk you into a sale or guide you through the process. They're not exactly trying to guide you um, or, or sort of uh, educate you about diamonds or, or the different shapes and different styles. Um, they kind of want to quite quote your price and, yeah, and that's what's whatever they got, they're yeah. like, hey, I got this one for you. Oh, it looks beautiful. <laughs> Um, but that can still, I think, definitely have its place and be really fun. Um, but, um, you know, I think that's what's uh, kind of like cool about my services. Like my, my job is to really guide you through the process from design all the way through yeah. kind of receiving the, the final piece. Yeah. Like I think while it's, it's great when you can go to like a third or fourth generation jeweler, also someone with a different perspective who, you know, you're coming from a place that this has just been passionate for you and taking your other experience into this, like, yeah, you're just going to shop differently for these people. And like you said, you're not the one who just like, you know, screaming out prices at the thing, you know, like you're looking and you can filter out the white noise because you know what you want for that person. Yeah, I would say what's been really um, kind of exciting on the um, on the diamond side and really the engagement ring side is um, I have a few diamond wholesalers who I work with throughout the year and they know that I know what things cost too. Yeah. And they also want to make sure that in addition to us doing this ring together, that I bring them, you know, five more this mm-hmm. year. Um, and so um, just from a, like a price standpoint, everybody's sort of encouraged to be, to kind of put their best foot forward and be as honest as possible because um, I'm not buying just one yeah. ring. I'm not proposing one time, hopefully for my whole <laughs> life. Um, so it, it adds like a little bit of a different element that way as well. All right. So I've got a, maybe a little bit more difficult of a question for you. So while we're <laughs> on the subject of rings and shopping for diamonds and stuff, I, I want to, I wanted to get your stance on, on diamonds. Uh, like, are you, are you pro diamond when it comes to engagement rings or, or like, what, what are your thoughts on, alternative stones and, and, and the like. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm very, very pro diamond. Um, I would say like 90 or 95% of the engagement rings I do are traditional white diamonds. Um, I think colored gemstones can be really, really beautiful if you're looking for something a little bit more unique. Um, the challenging thing, it kind of depends on the woman's mm-hmm. lifestyle. So something like an emerald or a sapphire, they are a softer stone. Um, so um, I would never recommend a sapphire for someone who's like very, very active and loves to go hiking every day or is a teacher and uses her hand all mm-hmm. the time. Um, so, you know, diamonds are are very, very hard, which is, you know, traditionally what makes them so good for rings. Um, I would say, you know, diamonds are, are classic and are huge. I would almost say like the more interesting part of the conversation right now is um, lab-grown diamonds versus diamonds mined from the yeah. earth. Mm-hmm. Um, lab-growns are very, very interesting. It, it's a kind of a heady topic because um, they have the exact same chemical composition as a diamond mined from the earth. Yeah, and less impurities too. Right? Um, but instead of taking thousands of years to, mm-hmm. to be made, you know, they're grown in a lab over a few weeks or months, mm-hmm. but it's the same high pressure, high temperature atmosphere. Um, same process. That, you know, yeah, exactly. So, diamond, yeah. um, so they are real, they're real diamonds. They just weren't mined from the earth. They were grown in a lab. Um, mm-hmm. So it's different than like a cubic zirconium or like a diamond stimulant, which aren't real diamonds. Like a lab grown mm-hmm. diamond, an expert jeweler wouldn't be able to tell a lab grown versus a diamond mine from the earth, yeah. but there's a huge difference in price. You need like a very special piece of equipment to be able to tell that it's a lab grown diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a very interesting conversation. People have very, very strong feelings about it. Like for a lot of people, there's something like a lot less romantic about something that didn't take thousands of years yeah, to grow. Um, mm-hmm. but as I said, there's a huge price difference and like appearance wise, there's no difference at all. It just raises a lot of questions. Like what, what, like ethically and like, what, like, what do you place value on? Like just the fact that the earth forged this and it's yeah, like, like part of the story of it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I, you know, from a, from a value and like almost 
business perspective, the thing clients really have to, again, you're going to get so much more bang for your buck if you go with the lab round, mm-hmm. but from a resale value perspective, um, mm-hmm. it's not going to be nearly worth as much if you ever were to sell yeah. it or want to upgrade or anything like that. Um, you buy it. It's something that you buy to be worn every day. Yeah, it's not yeah. at all investment grade versus um, a diamond mine from the earth. You can kind of think more like as an asset and as mm-hmm. an investment. Um, so the, so you have to ask yourself how important is resale value? Um, for some people, they're like, listen, I hope my wife wears this. Um, I, I never have to sell this. Exactly. Thing. I hope my I partner it. wears this every day for the next 50 years. So, you know, either let me save save money or get something or be able to afford something so much bigger and nicer. Um, other people, it's almost like when you drive a car off the lot, like it, it loses yeah. its value. Like what you, what you buy it for, you would not be able to get out of it, you know, even close yeah. with a lab grown. So um, it, it's really, really interesting. Um, and it's shaking up the industry in a really big way, because as I said, like they have the same chemical composition. So it's not even like, they're not fake diamonds, like they're yeah. diamonds. They're just made in a different way. Yeah, so ladies, go out there. You know, if you want to check your chemical composition, <laughs> go, go source that, that expensive piece of equipment. You can you can find out. Find out. Or you don't really want to know. Um, yeah. yeah, less history, I more know. mystery. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, it's like if this is for me, this is what I'm. Yeah, this is. I'm, yeah. I'm does it, it how does that. it look on my on your hand? You know, or yeah. on your neck? Or and whatever. I think yeah, like you said, but if you get a professional like yourself to do it, that's probably not going to be a lot of questions. Like, no, bam, this is for me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And yeah. You hit it right on the head. Um, yeah, there's been people who've come to me with big expectations and sometimes like a tighter budget. And I will recommend going with a lab grown just because your budget stretches so much mm-hmm. further. Um, but uh, sometimes people will have like a really strong reaction to that and like not want to entertain that idea at all. Um, so there's still, um, I think things are changing in a big way. And it'll be interesting to see like in five or 10 years what the story is um but it's it's really interesting like a lot of the old school diamond mines and companies um it you know they're they've actually started creating lab growns and flooding the market so that they're They're, there's a much bigger difference in price because um they you know it wouldn't be good for their business if um lab growns were seen sort of on the same level as natural diamonds um so some of the industry dynamics yeah. So, um, it's really, it's, it's, um, cause there, listen, there's a lot of big money there and like a lot of, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting all the kind of dynamics at play there. But, um, I, for instance, like for something like diamond studs, I think lab grounds can be like a really great yeah. choice. Um, for an engagement ring, sometimes people yeah. feel differently. Yeah, earrings it, are but. a little more casual everyday yeah. wear, whereas, uh, you know, an engagement ring has a little bit more significance. Yeah. Exactly. The emotional significance there. Um, But I've definitely done some lab grown engagement rings and they're beautiful. And again, you wouldn't believe sort of how much more affordable it is. Well, I think that's like important with all kinds of styles. Like you can throw money at anything. doesn't mean it's going to look great anyway. Like I'm sure there's better or way more expensive rings, but if it doesn't fit that person's personality, it don't matter. You know, like you missed, you know what I mean? So yeah, it's not what you, it's not, yeah. How much you spend on it, how you wear it, you know? Have you ever experienced something where, Someone went with a lab grown and then their fiance or their significant other was like, how dare you source me a, a lab grown instead of a natural stone? So that's so interesting you say that. It typically is something where if if the person buying the ring wants to go lab grown, they've discussed that with their partner. Um, it's almost yeah. that kind of, I don't want to say controversial, yeah. but it's almost like that big of a deal. <laughs> um, so I don't know any times where that has happened per se, only because like, it's something that they've discussed as a couple. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's I, you know, listen, I'm, I'm always yeah, happy to help you, but like, I would definitely encourage you. To <laughs> don't blame me. Yeah. Don't blame me. <laughs> well, I think also like, even, I just sourced it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, even if I go in like at a novice level, if you told me that, that there are some that are lab growing, and I would already in my head be like, okay, that is a big decision. You know what I mean? So um, it's a really big decision. Um, again, I think the thing that makes it so complicated is that like it looks exactly like a diamond because it is yeah. a diamond. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's very heady. Yeah, and to it, me, um, I would totally be like, yeah, it don't matter. Yeah. Me. If I can save a couple bucks and it's going to look yeah, exactly we, the same. We, we don't need to pull this set. out the earth. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. They're working just as hard in that lab to forge that. Um, and, to, you know, you mentioned like the ethical stuff. Um, again, like there's a lot of considerations around like um, 
you know, what con- people consider like a blood diamond or like ethical yeah. practices there. Um, so some people who are a little bit more into like sustainability will ask about um, mm, lab grown diamonds, but it takes a crazy amount of energy to run the labs. Um, so from like a, like an eco standpoint, um, lab growns are also sort of complex. So um, I'm, I'm a nerd. I could talk about this all day, but it's not necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's exactly. not blood on them, but there's a lot of sweat on them. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it just shows you yeah, the, the work that you do for your customers before they come in. Like you have to know about the stuff because it will, yeah. I mean, to, you don't know, which person that gets that gift is gonna, that, that's a really a big important part of that purchase, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Like being able to warn them about all that stuff. But you touched on something really interesting in, uh, in this last section of the conversation about jewelry as an investment or an asset rather than just an accessory. Uh, I was wondering if you can elaborate a, a little bit more on, uh, you know, someone's process about thinking of a piece of jewelry as an asset. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a, a mindset, and it's something that you want to be aware of, particularly if you're um, if you're spending a lot of money. Like thinking, uh, you know, to what extent? Like, is this like an asset in my portfolio versus just something beautiful that I get to wear? Um, when thinking about is a piece a good investment, um, you want to ask yourself like, are there diamonds or gemstones? Like, what's the carat weight? Like, physically, like the materials that I'm working with. Um, and, you know, a piece of jewelry can often be expensive because of the designer and their mm-hmm. markup. And so um, in terms of a piece maintaining its value, the major design houses like Cartier and Van Cleef, like those are always going to maintain their value well. Um, the more sort of emerging up and coming designers that can be very, very expensive, um, those don't maintain their value quite as much. Um, it's just sort of um, but they can be very expensive and very beautiful and beautifully made. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not going to be, again, like an asset in your portfolio, like a classic Tiffany piece yeah. might. So you have to sort of think about uh, what's important to you, um, what you're interested in. Um, I think it's much more important, you know, as we've said, um, to find something that like that really speaks to you, that you love and like really matches your style. Um, because um Again, unless you're buying a, you know, Rolex Daytona, like, like unless you're yeah. specifically looking yeah, for like an asset getting, quality piece, know, yeah. it's probably not going to maintain its value quite yeah. as well. Is there um, kind of switching a little bit on it, but uh, is there any like a specific story with a certain client that really stands out to you? Like, bam, like I really just hit it on the head or was it a unique ask or unique gift for a different kind of like um, occasion that you weren't, you know, that you don't usually deal with? Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of something recent. So I think culturally, like it's really interesting, like different people's uh, customs and um, sometimes people's superstitions. Um, So I had a client actually just two weeks ago. um, He, uh, we made a custom engagement ring together and I shipped it out to him in, um, he's from Utah actually. And, um, his mom was in town and his mom, I guess, tried on the ring on her finger, just, I think it was a proud moment. She was excited to see what her son had bought. Um, and, um, it somehow got back to his fiance that his mom had tried it on first. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, that struck her as like very, very, very yeah, bad luck. I get to that. And so he was calling me and asking like what it would cost to essentially Redo. reset yeah. the diamond and create a whole yeah. new custom setting. It would have been thousands mm. of dollars to, to create a new custom setting. Um, so, but I wanted to, res- uh, he was caught in such yeah, a difficult yeah, position. I think he was just trying to show sure. off to his mom a little bit. And for whatever reason, the bride. Um, yeah, struck a chord. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd let my mom try on my fiance's yeah. ring. To be honest, yeah, yeah. you could look at it. You could look at it, but yeah. don't don't put that on, yeah. please. It's meant for one person. Yeah, for it real. Gave, it gave her <laughs> yeah. a bad vibe. And again, like what a way to start off a relationship yeah. with your mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was not intentional. But so I bet that like was, that yeah. finger would just feel so different. Like she would know <laughs> her knowing that if she didn't address it. I mean, it's a tough one, but I could see where she's coming from. Yeah, like, this is yeah. eternally on me. Like. 
Yeah, he asked me, he was like, are there any like known rules or, or is that known to be bad luck or anything? And I was like, you know, I've yeah, never heard of this before. That you're me that it's, um, uh, and even that, like, <laughs> who knows if his like, you know, hopefully it did become his fiance still, but uh, who knows? It probably wasn't even a superstition for her, but as soon as you hear that, you're like, damn, I don't really want that. Like, I could totally see yeah, that. Yeah, somebody but. else put this on. Like, this was intended for me, but somebody else put it on already. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, kind of more interesting. So... Again, it all comes back to what we've been saying all along, which is Julie's very emotional. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, that's that is interesting. I was, yeah, I mean, honestly, the only pieces of jewelry that I've ever worn were pretty emotional in some yeah. regard. You know, like I, like I don't wear rings or, or bracelets, and no longer wear a chain. But what, what the times that I did, they did have yeah, you know, some why. kind of emotional significance. Yeah, to absolutely. Okay, this is a great time to go into our segment that we call support quality. And we just want to ask you about something that has brought quality into your life or your business lately. It could be a person, a place, a thing, a process. But what's something that has brought quality to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just starting in 2022, I've started a practice of daily journaling. Um, mm. And it's it's been really, really powerful for me to be a little bit more deliberate about like mindset and how I approach the day and feeling so much more like I'm in control of, of my own perception and, and how I can kind of um, respond versus react. And so mm. um, not a hot take by any means, but um, the process of, of journaling every day has been really impactful. Um, I started working with a business coach this year. Um, shout out to, to Jen Diaz. Um, she's got um, her own sort of methodology around journaling that she has sort of taught to me. Um, mm. And I think she's on Instagram at Jen M. Diaz. Um, and it's really been transformational for me just to kind of start my day in a different way. Yeah. I think it's important too, for people to know, like even you've been in the business for that long and just, you know, living life as long as you can still make adjustments. And uh, you hear, we've heard, had multiple guests too mention like uh, journaling and all that, but I think that's, you said important is like focusing how to journal, you know, you found a style that works for you. Yeah. I mean, when you start with the blank page, like it, I've, I've tried to, to journal in the past, but when you're starting with a blank page, like it's just so hard to be consistent, but having just <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a framework of like, these are the yeah, four ways to yeah. a little template. It's yeah. the difference <clears throat> for me, at least it's the difference between doing it and not doing it. So, um, so yeah, Jen Diaz, um, nice. she's, uh, oh, shout out. she's huge. Uh, she's been, um, just so great to work with. Um, so yeah, I'm focusing a lot on, um, I guess like the softer skills around like mindset. Um, mm. and, uh, I think the first few years in business, I was really focused on strategy and profitability and some of the, like, those harder skills. And like, that's always going to be really important. But um, as like a solo entrepreneur, like working for myself, doing this for myself, um, it has to be fun and you have to be happy doing yeah. it. And a lot of that starts with like the mindset. Nice. Absolutely. Right. Well, as we wrap up this conversation, I just, I just want to ask you about um, maybe like a piece of advice that you have for either somebody leaving a, a comfortable job to start something new or even just somebody trying to source a piece of jewelry for somebody um e either either one you can you can you can choose or, or both um, got some knowledge to drop yeah absolutely so i think um somebody looking to like leave their job and, and start their business um i think all of this, of course, is easier than, said than done, but I think to the extent you can be really deliberate about um, trying to find something that you're uniquely good at or that you have a unique insight around, um, I think that the mar like every type of market is saturated. Every idea has yeah, been done before. Yeah. So the extent that you feel like you have a unique superpower, it, it's... Because listen, there are some days where it's it's less fun than others or you have more self-doubt than others. But um, even on my worst days, I felt like I have a unique skill in being able to, to curate thoughtful selections for people. And so even if um, the website isn't right, or even if um, I'm frustrated with the client or anything else, like I still know that I have um, a point of view and like a unique skill set. And, and that's been just, that gives me like a lot of confidence in the days that are a little bit less fun. Um, so really trying to find something that you're uniquely good at or have a unique insight around, I think um, can, uh, can really yeah, go along the right, yeah. um, nice. Absolutely. And then in terms of, um, of 
sourcing a great piece of jewelry. Uh, depending- cat. She'll, yeah. she'll, she'll <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, come to me. I, w- it, I would be so be my pleasure to help you do that. Um, depending upon where you are kind of in your collection, um, I think the best place to start is a piece that you want to wear every day. So right. a great pair of everyday earrings, a great everyday necklace is, is diff, you know, is the place to start. Um, you don't have to break the bank to find something that's going to be real 14 karat gold or with real gemstones. Um, so invest in yourself. It's such an empowering purchase to, um, to get something, as I said, real, that's just for you that you're going to enjoy wearing all the time. Um, and uh uh, yeah, that first purchase is always really, really exciting. If, you, if uh, you've never really bought a piece of jewelry before, yeah, just open that Pandora's box. <laughs> no, not, the, not the jeweler Pandora. Just, no, no. Yes, <laughs> yeah, but if that's the jeweler you want to go with, that's cool too. <laughs> okay, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you about jewelry this evening. This is mm-hmm. not a conversation that we've had yet on our podcast. Um, yeah, I'm always you know, looking for. And while we're not big jewelry wearers, you know, we, we might just become some. So, uh, well, thank you so yeah. much. This was so fun. And I, I so appreciate you guys having me on. Definitely. Yeah. Like, where can they, uh, the people reach you for their next uh, consultation or anything like that? Yeah. Um, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at best kept jewelry, or um, you can go to bestkept.com, awesome. um, set up a consultation. Um, and I would love to be helpful. Nice. And she yeah. ships everywhere. She's helping people in Utah. So I know they can help. You can help That's everywhere. Right. So you don't got to be up there. Exactly. <laughs> but yes, thank you for joining us. Yes, with the absolutely. time zone uh, difference, we appreciate yeah. you yeah, hanging you out on Friday night. Evening. Uh, you can follow us at Quality Goods TV on Instagram. All, all the goods are there. Video clips, audio clips. All that. We'll make sure to tag all. Yeah, we'll tag all the best cap. All that will get tagged. Yeah, on this. yeah. All of it on here. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me at Mr. Beanie on Instagram. And I'm at Anson.WAV. Yeah. So uh, check us out. Yep, yep. And until next time.